Hi, and welcome to another episode of the ULI Toronto Electric Cities podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Worson. Today is July 31st, 2020, and we're now about four and a half months into coping with the COVID-19 pandemic. It has been a detriment to our economy, our education system, and our overall health and well-being. But one aspect of urban life that seems to have benefited is cycling in the city. Demand for bicycles is at an all-time high, and there is a noticeable surge of cyclists on our city streets and bicycle routes. Urbanists and cycling advocates are certainly excited by this and have applauded Toronto's accelerated approvals for building additional cycling infrastructure across the city. But a big question remains as to whether this positive momentum will be sustained in the long term to ensure that proper cycling infrastructure will continue to play an integral role in the shape of our city region. To get a better sense of Toronto's plans for cycling infrastructure and the impacts experienced as a result of the pandemic, I'm really delighted to be joined by Barbara Gray, the City of Toronto's General Manager of Transportation Services. So Barbara, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, you're most welcome. It's great to be here. Yeah, and you know, I want to just, before we begin, let's just go back to uh, 2016 when you first joined the city of Toronto. And I just, I understand you, you came here from Seattle, Washington. Um, wh- what were your first impressions of Toronto and, and in particular its cycling infrastructure and maybe our overall cycling culture? Well, uh, that's that's a great question. And um, it's actually a little bit of a funny story. So I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. But, you know, I had visited Toronto a number of times when I was younger growing up on the east coast of, uh, of the states in New York City. And um, and I came back here to interview for this job, actually. Um, and I thought to myself, I am knowing that um, cycling was a real um, incredible, but also very polarizing issue in every major city. Uh, I thought that uh, I probably ought to keep my remarks about cycling in my interview to a bit of a minimum, you know, like ask, answer questions when asked, etc. Um, and so the day before, the day of the interview, I was getting prepared and I was walking around taking some pictures because I had put a presentation together and I was astounded by the level of cycling, both people cycling, bicycle parking, the amount of cyclists that uh, were on the streets, the, you know, how many deep they were at intersections. Hmm. It was a a September, a sunny September day when Mm -hmm. I was in Toronto. So as you can imagine, everybody was out. Um, And I, uh, I changed my plan at the last minute, which I'm not supposed to sure you're supposed to do that. But I, I changed my plan at the last minute to end my interview on the topic of cycling and how much um, interest and enthusiasm there seemed to be and uh, and how much work had been done, but how much was still left to do in order to create a connected network. So it was actually made a really big impression on me when I came to Toronto and looked at it through the lens of, you know, urban planning, urban design and transportation. Uh, and I got the job, so I guess I didn't maybe, screw it too much. Maybe that was it. <laughs> but what I guess in more detail, what was it about our the cycling or the infrastructure, what you saw that uh, as a strength? Is it just the numbers of cyclists or is there anything else? 
Well, I actually think the infrastructure that had been built at that time in 2016, you know, Richmond and Adelaide were still in the pilot phase. Um, but I thought the infrastructure was uh, really, you know, it was attractive and uh, it was relative, you know, in the parts that were connected, it was well connected. You know, I was I was yet to learn that there was still, you know, pretty significant gaps and, and a lot of interest in filling in those gaps. Um, but uh, I thought, wow, first of all, it's a flat city. So Seattle is a very hilly city mm. um, and it's very, very challenging, like like to get people to uh, place to place to place on a bicycle. And there's tons of committed riders there. And I knew that there was a very strong advocacy community here in Toronto, as there was in Seattle as well. So I was excited about that. Um, and I just I found that it felt like an accessible mode. It felt like something you could live you know, 30 minutes outside the core and, and have a reasonable commute downtown. Um, I was also really impressed by the bike share system because we had had some difficulty getting bike share up and running. Um, and, and Where, you know, like in Seattle? Or? In Seattle, mm-hmm. yeah. In Seattle we had, and it was a relatively a small start to begin with, which is always challenging when you're trying to get real coverage. But because the bike share system had been here for a while and had been added to and invested in, um, it seemed like it was a really good option for lots of people. So it just seemed like a very accessible city for cycling. Um, and and I w- and that was evident to me, you know, coming to look at it through a transportation lens. So when you first got here, you saw a lot of the the, the wonderful aspects of our, our cycling infrastructure. Was there anything in your mind that was lacking when you first came here? Well, I assumed, and I you know learned as things went along that there were there were lots of gaps in the network. Um, and while the staff had been working to try to build that network, there was still a pretty divided. Um, perspective, both in the community and, uh, you know, politically. But I think my perspective on that um, is that because the city, you know, because of amalgamation, people talk about it. And I think this is one of the places where it's really had an impact. Um, You know, the downtown where I think we see cycling mode share in some of our core neighborhoods of like 30%, which is just enormous. You go out to some of the suburban scale communities and that number goes, you know, down to 1%. So um, it's, it's just the scale, like, you know, it's the land use, right? The scale of the land use and, uh, the distance that you have to travel, um, is very, very different in the suburban parts of the city than it is in the, in the downtown core. So, um, I saw that. And I also saw that there was, you know, the, the huge interest that I, uh, that I experienced from people in the community and from advocacy groups, and also from many of the, uh, political leaders who were really enthusiastic about cycling um, was was outsized to the connectivity of our program you know that we currently had in place and I knew that we had some really committed staff who had done just amazing work up to that point um, and lots of heavy lifting um, but it was I think Bloor Street that really ch- turned the tide right on, um, on on trying to get some of that those key pieces of infrastructure in uh, and fighting that battle okay well let, we'll get into that in, in, in a bit but I, I let's just um, maybe lay the groundwork for just the just for our audience, um, the basic sort of context of how many kilometers of cycling trails or routes uh, are there in Toronto, um, both I guess dedicated or shared. So we have uh, six hundred, just under six hundred and thirty lane kilometers of on-street facilities and about three hundred and fifty kilometers of multi-use trail. So you know, just just shy of a thousand and. Um, 
that's a mixture. So on the on-street facilities, about 280 of them are cycle tracks, bike lanes, or um, what well, you know, contraflow lanes. So it's dedicated or separated. Um, and the remainder are shared or signed routes. So we can't we count all of them, but certainly they're at different levels of uh, of separation and um, you know and and protection. Yeah. And then, uh, as you know, the council voted to accelerate uh, implementation of an additional kilometers of on-street facilities that we're we're continuing to finish up. We've got the bulk of them in, and we have a couple more to do uh, into the beginning of August. But that will take our number of on-street. Uh, up to just about 650, which and, I think is, you know, great. And really so good. how has that grown over the years? Has it, has it been a steady, has there been a steady increase in the, in the number of kilometers of, of routes? I would say that over the years, it's probably come in spikes. I mean, there was a, I think Toronto was one, was pretty early on in developing a citywide cycling plan. You know, it's been updated and refreshed a number of times. And one of the things that we did uh, in 2019 was the last time we, we updated it is we created a really focused three-year implementation plan um, to implement, you know, a chunk of facilities in that three-year time frame that could demonstrate, you know, progress towards a 10-year plan seemed like such a long time, right? Um, and one of the nice things about having that level of, uh, for the planners uh, who are listening, which is probably many, you know, it's great to have a citywide plan that articulates where you want to go, because when someone turns around and says to you, can you do it faster? You you actually have the groundwork laid to be able to say, sure, we can do it. We can do this part faster. If, if you can help support, you know, and, and bring people to the table, then uh, we can do it faster. So, so many of the projects that you're seeing rolling out over the last couple of months were planned projects, but they were planned for implementation either this year or next year or in 2022. And we were able to pull a number of those forward uh, and deliver them this year. What about the the um, distribution of routes across the city? If you look at a map and you see bicycle trails, are they more concentrated in the core or is there uh, a sufficient number of kilometers of routes in more of the extremities of the of the city? So the plan covers the whole city, and there's actually some pretty good uh, infrastructure uh, across the city. I think it's definitely stronger in the core. There's more connected routes in the core, but there's some really good, you know, trail like Gatineau Trail and the Hydro Corridor Trail that that travel a long distance, the Martin Goodman. Um, and then there are some good connected routes out in in some parts of uh, of the suburbs out in Etobicoke and North York and Scarborough as well. Mm -hmm. Certainly not nearly as much. And and one of the things we're really proud of with the tenure cycling network plan is that we did a pretty um, a pretty deep dive on uh, equity to look at you know priority neighborhoods and where are, were people who could really benefit from the sort of lower cost and higher benefit type of travel um, maybe cycling to get to uh, a local trip or cycling to get to transit to take a, a, a longer trip and try to build the network um, in in those communities as well so we've been trying to uh, focus our our efforts on implementing cycling infrastructure across the city, and and I I would say that one of the one of the challenges and, and in many cases what makes the downtown a little bit easier is there's a lot more people who ride in downtown or in the you know core neighborhoods it feels to me, um, but there are still lots of people who want to get around on bikes in the suburban communities and would really and really benefit from connected infrastructure. Uh, a couple of the projects that we've installed as temporary as part of this COVID are like Brimley Road 
road that connects the Gatineau Trail down to um, down to the waterfront, um, and uh, and some of the um, some a couple of areas up in North York, like uh, Weldon Faywood, and um, some other places that really connect parks and recreational facilities to try to give people a little bit more reach there. So you know it's coming along. It's coming along. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned about. Um, the the suburban areas. I mean, I I live um, in a more pedestrian friendly and cycling friendly part of the city, um, and so and I, I I've been a, a cycling proponent and uh, for most of my life. But I I got to think that if you're living in in a, in a more suburban context, the idea of getting on a bicycle, um, not really for recreational purposes, but more for commuting purposes, has got to be uh, a little bit more discouraging given the distances as you talked about before. Yeah. Um, how have, how has the city, I mean, you, so you've said you've, you, there's, there's more routes being planned and, and being built, but is there more to it to, to try to get people to come around? Does this, does the city need to, to um, educate more or encourage more or, or are people starting to recognize the benefits in those, in those parts of the city? Well, I definitely think there's more that we can do, and there's also a lot we can do with our partners. So, you know, TCAT and um, Cycle Toronto and a bunch of other neighborhood-based groups do um, a, a, an excellent job at connecting communities and educating communities about the benefits and value of cycling. Um, I've always thought that Toronto is a really unique city in just the, the quantity of main streets that we have. Um, and I think those main streets, you know, Span the full range of the city. I think we have, you know, really great, you know, uh, downtown or downtown scale neighborhoods across the city. Uh, within five kilometers, a bike is a great option to get around. And so sometimes I think that people believe when we talk about cycling routes um, in the suburban community, that they, they think that we're expecting them to bike downtown. Um, and I think I think that part of the um, really core principle around vision zero in neighborhoods is that for cycling in particular, the safer we can make those connections, the more, you know, dedicated space we can give to cyclists, um, the more comfortable they're going to feel traveling from home to the store or from home to the library or the community center um, or to transit to higher order transit. So uh, I think we still have a lot of work to do there, but it's, it's definitely a focus of ours. Um, and we work in partnership with those groups I mentioned. We also work in, in pretty close partnership with the police, um, helping with speed management and making sure that people who are driving are, uh, are following the rules as well. So you mentioned Vision Zero. Maybe you can explain a little bit more about what that is. And I, I'm assuming that that, um, that was one of your key uh, tasks uh, upon joining the City of Toronto in, in 2016. Uh, maybe you can yes. elaborate on that. Sure. So Vision Zero uh, was started in Scandinavia, but um, the 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 um, the general vision is that um, all uh, there there are no um, accidents in uh, in traffic fatalities and serious injuries that they they are all preventable, and that um, if we all work together, we can get to zero, so that we don't have any fatalities or serious injuries as a result of um, of people traveling to and from on the road. Uh, regardless of what mode they choose. And and Toronto has really embraced that philosophy. We've passed a Vision Zero plan. We are aggressively implementing it at all scales. It's a really big city. Another 
uh, difference between here and Seattle. Seattle it has a population of about 700,000 people, um, and it, it acts like a big city, uh, but it, in terms of scale, Toronto is as a huge scale, and, and some of these improvements and investments are big, and some of them are quite small, like at the level of the intersection. Uh, and we just have a very big system that, that needs to be retrofitted. So we're working through it and trying to um, accelerate it. We've had great support from the council in terms of accelerating funding for Vision Zero. And that covers cycling and walking as well as safe driving and education um, and trying to have a network that works for people of all ages and abilities to travel around the city. So has it, um, do you think it's been a success uh, since it's been launched? Are there still challenges along the way? I mean, you keep, we do hear of um, fatalities, mostly, probably, I'm guessing, uh, pedestrian, but also cycling fatalities on an annual basis. Um, Would you say that, that, that there's still more to do? Oh, there's always more to do. I mean, I think that um, I think that Vision Zero has had a great launch here in Toronto, and there is um, lots of expectations, which is excellent because we really want to make sure that the streets are safe for for everybody traveling. Um, I, I think that, uh, it, as I mentioned, the system actually needs to be retrofitted in in order to make sure that um, that people understand and travel safely. Uh, we still have a lot of people who drive, who travel really fast, and we know speed is a huge issue. And that's why I mentioned sort of partnership with the police on speed management is so critical. And just reminding people, you know, you get into a car and you kind of, by and large, forget what's around you. You know, you're, you're focused, like if you drive it every day, it, it sort of becomes second nature to drive it every day. And, and, and I think most people are intended in being excellent drivers, and I think most of them are. Uh, and I think when we have conflict on the roads, you know, people on sidewalks, people on bikes, it's, it can be very, it can be a little distracting for drivers. And so um, I think there's some agitation, like people are a little bit agitated about that relationship. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I really do think that we have to be vigilant vigilant and diligent about delivering the infrastructure, educating people, enforcing, um, and listening to the community and, and hearing, you know, where are the most important places and where are the places that they feel really need need our attention um, and, and focusing on those as well. So, yeah, we're making great progress. We still have a long way to go, um, but I do think it's a, it's a long-term goal. Getting to zero is a long-term goal. And does it mean more dedicated routes? I mean, I, I know, again, from experience, um, I, I work downtown, and uh, I have lots of colleagues, and I'm one of the few that, that bike to work on a regular basis. Um, mm-hmm. I'm used to riding on, on city streets and navigating through traffic, but it's not for everyone, and a lot of people... Yeah. Um, uh, who are not used to that are really discouraged, intimidated by what they're seeing on city streets. They're, you know, they're, they're not now, but certainly before the pandemic had clogged with, with streetcars and traffic and buses. Right. Um, you know, how do you get people, how do you, how do you get people to feel more comfortable about, uh, in all ages, I'm not talking just 20 and 30 year olds, but of all ages yep. to feel more comfortable, uh, with the notion of, um, commuting and getting around the city on a regular basis. Well, um, you know, it reminds me of a of a colleague that I had, a city councilor out in Seattle, actually, who was really interested in cycling. Um, she was, I think, she might have been in her fifties or sixties, but um, she was real. She got herself an electric bike, and she was really excited about um, about traveling. And she described herself as willing but wary. 
<laughs> because you know the the street the streets accommodate uh, a lot of different users and to your point there's street cars there's people crossing at intersections there's cars traveling at a high rate of speed and i i uh have are mostly a walker and a transit user but during the COVID times i have actually been cycling when i've had to go down to city hall and um it's been great to have dedicated uh protective infrastructure you know to have a dedicated cycle track um or or a bike lane on a street that has some separate Separation makes a huge difference. Um, I think that what we learned on Bloor Street is that not only did it make a difference for the cyclists, it also made a difference for the drivers. How so? Back to that point. Well, back to that point that I made about, you know, there's a lot of friction in the system and people tend to feel a little bit um, agitated about all the different users of the road. And, and when you have a cycle track, uh, cars know where the bikes are going to be. And so I don't remember what the percentages were, but when we did that, um, we did a fair amount of data collection on the Bloor Street uh, pilot. And one of the things we learned was that cars also preferred, drivers preferred to have bikes in protected facility because they then knew uh, it was way more predictable as to where the bikes were gonna be. Um, and and I, I think that's, that's um, I think that rings true. So having, having that protected separated infrastructure that's connected is a great way to get people who are willing but wary to travel on the system. So what are some of the challenges that you've encountered so far since you've been here uh, that, that have either prevented or, or slowed down your, your overall objectives? Well, I think there were still a lot of unanswered questions. Um, and I don't think there were just unanswered questions for Toronto. I think they were unanswered questions in many, many cities about, you know, what's the actual value of cycling infrastructure? How is it going to um, really encourage or incentivize people to, to ride? But also, what is the actual impact on the business communities and that, and largely the business communities? Because while we do have some uh, concerns from residential communities about cycling, mostly where we get real concern is from uh, Main Street business communities who, you know, are largely small businesses operating on pretty tight margins and um, and they want to make sure that they have sort of the best access possible. So they get pretty agitated when you make changes to the roadway. Yeah. Um, and so and so uh, we we um, we wanted to have information and data around the impacts to those businesses during the time of that pilot. And, you know, there's no perfect data set, but we did try to this find something. This is the Bloor Street, Bloor Street pilot? Yeah, on, right. on Bloor Street. And we repeated this on King Street, um, and we're repeating it on the Danforth as well, is to just get points, just a sample of point of sale information to understand if there was a change in you know the number of people who were making transactions during the time that the bike lane was in as opposed to before and after as just another data point along with what's the volume of cars and what's the volume of cyclists has it gone up or down and what's the impact on pedestrians you know all of those things we look at demographics we look at population we look at all those things yet we didn't have any real good hard and fast data on economics and um, a grant granted not perfect but at least provided a snapshot of um, of what the impact was of that facility on on business, mm -hmm. and I think what 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 it demonstrated was the impact was pretty minimal, if anything. Hmm. Um, we did a control group and we looked at you know at the time. Now I don't know if you've been out to the Danforth, but it's got got a whole new uh, a whole new makeover and it's looking amazing. I've seen uh, pictures. But at the time, 
Yeah, it's it's worth a ride out there. It looks really great. So at a t at the time, the Danforth was the control area to Bloor on the other side to look at you know how did the um, how did the point of sale data look um, on Danforth over that same period of time as it did on Bloor, and we really found such minimal uh, impact, if any. In some cases, it was exactly the same. In other cases, it was a little bit up or down. Or we looked over three years at a trend line, and we pretty much saw the same thing for King Street as well. Hmm. Um, so I just think that there's real value in making sure that you're answering people's questions about impacts of things like installing cycle facilities. Because when we went to do Bloor West, which is being installed starting on Tuesday, hmm. um, it was a very different conversation. It was a very, and we still went through a bunch of small business districts. Um, we had better data. We had um, sort of, we knew from the Bloor pilot that those businesses did not all close up shop. They actually were thriving and in some cases business was better. Um, we had, you know, real lived experience from, from people who owned and operated those businesses that said, you know, it's been really positive and, um, and it just, it changed the dynamic. And I think it helped to convince some of our political leadership as well. I was going to ask, um, yeah, how, how yeah. has that response been? Because I remember... Before you you joined the city, there was um, the famous scene of the city erasing uh, or eliminating bicy painted bicycle line of lanes on Jarvis. Um, oh, that was, yeah, that was a while ago. Right. Uh, so, how has the uh, the the recent political response been? Um, uh, we have very strong support on the council. I mean, the last couple of reports we've taken on cycling have either passed unanimously or they've passed, you know, like 24 to one. Um, when I got here, that was not the case. And, and again, I, I feel like there were a lot of unanswered questions. And I think that, you know, the council, they have a hard job. They pay attention to lots of issues in their wards, which now are double the size that they were before. And so the ability to see it and to get information about it that, that you know, they could then relay to the people in their communities about, well, here's what happened on Bloor Street. We, you know, maybe we take a lesson from that, um, I think is, ha, has been incredibly helpful. It, it, I think it's really helpful when people can see things on the ground and, and understand that uh, the change is great for cyclists, but perhaps not that impactful for businesses um, other than maybe to the positive. Well, let's, you know, which is a generalization. It's not everybody, right? I'm sure there's been some that that would not agree with me. <laughs> let's um, dive then into the the current situation we're in, and um, streets like Lakeshore Boulevard, which have been which are closed now on the weekends. Uh, I've experienced that a number of times, and it is almost a cycling utopia to to see so many cyclists. <laughs> Um, you know, cheerfully cycling in, in either direction. I've never seen so many cyclists on city streets before in a non-event context. I'm wondering, right. actually, do you have do you have any stats on, on the surge of cycling in, in Toronto? We um, do. Oh, we okay. do. Yeah, we do. Uh, so we've been taking, we, you know, you might remember the King Street pilot. We had a fair amount of data on, um, on the streets downtown, and we actually leveraged that project to have some data collectors video um, you know, that, that just captures volume. So we've been able to track volumes uh, for, for all modes in, in on about 35 intersections throughout um, the downtown, but it's given us a pretty good picture um, of, you know, the car traffic is down and the pedestrian traffic is down. And in the beginning of the COVID emergency, cycling was what had stayed pretty steady 
And this was in March, right? March, April. So that's pretty early for cycling uh, to really take hold of the city. And and so we saw some minimal declines, but as as um, cycling is still holding steady. So it's certainly not the same uh, volume of cyclists on an average day as you saw when people were commute cycling downtown in normal numbers. Um, so it's still it's still down a little bit, but it's down you know a very little bit compared to car to car decline and and pedestrian. Uh, traffic in downtown. On the lake shore, and I'm glad you brought it up, our active TO projects where we've closed off to cars portions of Lakeshore West, Lakeshore East, and Bayview. On a on a May Saturday, I mean, so we have data now for um, for every weekend, but one May Saturday, the first one that we counted was 22,000 bicycles on a, an eight-hour count on a Saturday, uh, which was both the trail and the street. Um, which is an astonishing. How number. does that number it's compare to? Astonishing number. So what? How did? What? What is that relative to? I mean, it does sound astonishing, but I'm just wondering. What, yeah. What does that compare? Uh, well, to? I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't have like the the volume uh, right in front of me on on what Bloor is, but I'm thinking it's more like you know 5,000 yeah. cyclists a day yeah. is is a pretty well used cycling facility. So 22,000 in an eight hour period that that's a big deal. Um, and we are gathering lots of data around the active TO corridors um, because I'm, you know, we're going to be asked next about, you know, what's going to happen next summer when uh, hopefully we're not in a pandemic, but maybe we still would like to uh, have a cycling utopia and rollerblading and walking and stroller pushing utopia down on the waterfront um, on summer weekends, you know. That would be lovely. I, I'm yeah. wondering. Uh, I know this may sound like a very simple question, but what what do you think are the reasons behind the surge of cycling in Toronto? Well, um, so I think that people see cycling as a cheap but very functional way to get around a city, and especially when there are not as many cars, mm -hmm. a, a real reduction in cars. Um, you can cover a lot of ground and you can remain physically distant. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of people have been uh, concerned uh, about being on transit, at least in the beginning parts of the pandemic, for sure, although transit numbers are starting to come back. Um, but I think that we really wanted to focus in some of our accelerated um, cycling uh, rollout of infrastructure on parallel corridors to the subway so that we could give people some alternatives. And I think, so I think there's that piece of it for getting around to work or to shopping that people have been using cycling as a way to cover more ground um, in a physically distanced way. And then I think it's also been seen as a great option for recreation for people, you know, not able to go to the gym, sure. um, being able to cycle a really long distance uh, on one of the active TO routes on the weekend is a great way to get, um, to get your exercise and, and have the kids out and everybody feel comfortable just being out there and enjoying the weather and, and some recreation. Mm. So because of COVID-19 and all of this, this uh, pause and momentum, what, what are some of the, um, some of the cycling projects that have been delivered? I mean, you mentioned Lakeshore West, uh, Bloor. Is there anything else that, that you see coming, uh, coming forward in, in the near term? 
Well, I think University Avenue is a big deal. Hmm. Like we we've been talking about University Avenue uh, on and off with the community since the um, TO core plan that city our partners at city planning uh, have been had been working on for for a while, and um, it parallels the subway corridor and connects to a lot of uh, hospitals and medical centers. And so, really trying to provide some access for frontline workers to be able to bike to work. Uh, so being able to get university in in that short amount of time, uh, even though you know it's temporary, right? There's it's temporary facilities. It's not it's not constructed like what you're going to see on Bloor West or you saw on the pilot phase of Bloor Street. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to connect the Bloor corridor all the way from Runnymede across the bridge on the viaduct rather through to Danforth, and then you know destination Danforth. That project was underway uh, in terms of the the. Um, consultation and the discussion with the community and the business community and um, and we were able to accelerate it uh, focused not only on the cycling but on the cafes and the public realm um, and get that in place again paralleling the subway corridor giving people some access there that they may not have had uh, as easily or readily beforehand Um, and then some of the suburban corridors like Brimley is in um, Weldon uh, Faywood uh, Faywood Weldon, I'm not going to remember exactly. It's a couple of streets up in North York. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and then we also were able to do the projects that we had on the docket for this year already, like Shaw Street and some of the bicycling uh, improvements and um, roadway improvements that we already had that we were able to deliver as well. So it's been an additional 40 kilometers, mm-hmm. and, um, and we're just about – we're almost done. I think the Danforth should wrap up this week or into next week. And, um, you know, we rolled out this program to support the restaurants, the Cafe TO program for cafe patios in the curb lanes. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to give um, many of the businesses along Bloor West an opportunity to take advantage of that program through this long weekend. And so we're actually going to start the construction on the Bloor West cycle facility on Tuesday is when it's going to get started. So that will be two weeks into August and then that facility will be done. And that one is is a permanent installation. So that will then we'll have um, you know, dedicated cycling infrastructure from Runnymede all the way to, I believe, Avenue Road. Yeah, I mean, this this is all obviously tremendous news for cycling advocates and, and urbanists uh, alike who have, uh, I think that everyone is very excited to see this. I, I guess the bigger question remains, as I asked in, in the, or as I mentioned in the intro, um, what does this mean for the longer term planning? Will there be sustained investment and attitude and interest in in expanding the cycling infrastructure at at this more accelerated pace well i'm i think there's going to be huge interest in that Uh, you know we'll do our diligence in terms of collecting data and you know how many people use the new facilities and when did they use them and you know what were the impacts and we'll bring a report back to city council next year um, you know, a year of these facilities in place to mm-hmm. make a recommendation about which ones we want to keep and upgrade to permanent or which ones we think we need to tweak or maybe which ones didn't work at all and we have to take out. Um, but I do think there's a huge appetite uh, to do things at a more accelerated pace. I certainly am interested in that. Um, my staff uh, is very interested in that. And um, again, with a 10-year cycling plan and a lot of 
those projects identified. Now, now, granted, when you identify a project, that doesn't mean it's ready to go. There's still community consultation that needs to happen and design work that needs to take place. But to the extent that we can continue to work um, and, and accelerate the, uh, the, those pieces and, and get our projects ready to be installed, then I, I would like to continue to work at this pace. Hmm. You know, maybe not 12 months out of the year because right. I won't have any staff left. They'll, be, they'll, go, right. they'll go elsewhere. But, but you know, I, I think for cycling in particular, in many cases, it's, it's good to do the consultation and engagement up front. Um, sometimes it's also really good to get something on the ground and make the commitment that you're going to tweak it to get it right. So that people can see, you know, that the facility went in, and, and quite the contrary from the world ending, um, things actually got better. Yeah. Or maybe some things got better and other things didn't, but maybe we can fix what didn't get better, or maybe we can change up how we do things to make it more successful on the next installation. So, I, I just think we typically tend to get a lot less um, concerned and angry people after the facility is in and they can actually see how it operates. Um, not, not, you know, that's not again, hundred percent across the board, but, but in general, that's, that's what our experience is. Less been. resistance. You know, I, um, on, in social media, following any one of the well-known urbanists uh, on Twitter, you know, you'll, they'll post, um, video clips and photos of speaking of cycling utopia of, of, uh, places like um, Copenhagen and Amsterdam mm -hmm. and, and now even Paris, Paris's mayor uh, really pushing for uh, uh, real commitment towards cycling infrastructure. Do you ever right. think, do you ever wonder whether Toronto can reach that, that same level of, of, of prominence as uh, as uh, as a cycling city? Uh, I sure think we could. I mean, I, I absolutely think we could. Those are those are difficult cities to do cycling infrastructure. Now, granted, they've been at it for a lot longer than we have, and the, especially in Copenhagen and well, in all of Scandinavia um, and in Amsterdam, and um, I would say to a certain extent, well, I, I'm, I'm I wouldn't say that the cycling culture is you know as ingrained in in you know in France and in England, but certainly they've come around uh, to really expand their facilities. So maybe those are more the models for us is looking at what London did, um, you know, and, but certainly having been to Copenhagen, um, I haven't been to Amsterdam in a long time, but having been to Copenhagen, like cycling is very, very prominent and, um, and it's in the culture there. Like everybody cycles there. Uh, it's a completely normal way to get around and um, they take care of the facilities. They make sure they're free of snow, you know, really early on and they're well maintained. And the expectation is that kids bike and parents bike and young people bike and everybody and, old, and older people bike as well. So um, I think that uh, we certainly have the opportunity to continue to improve and um, and be uh, a, an amazing city for cycling. Toronto, we have a lot. We have great bones as it were um and uh there's a lot of competing uses so i guess the reason why i'm not saying like yeah absolutely is there's just a lot of competing uses and we are still growing so quickly um that there i i feel like um we have to take into consideration the, that pressure um and so it might take us a little bit longer to get there but um you know as we build more of the infrastructure and it's safe and connected and people feel comfortable riding on it more people will ride and the more people ride, the more they'll demand more infrastructure. So I think it's a, a virtuous cycle that way. 
Sounds like these are exciting times for you and your and your team. Um, you, yeah. s- you sound very hopeful for the future, at least as it relates to cycling in the city and its growth. Um, yeah, absolutely. That that's terrific. Well, this is the one the one noticeable silver lining from from the pandemic. <laughs> it seems, um, true. Uh, in it's contrast true. to everything else. So. Uh, this has been really interesting, Barbara. I really appreciate you taking the time on uh, on this uh, last day of the week leading into the long weekend. Um, and many more uh, road closures, uh, hopefully, in, uh, coming up. Uh, what, the Lakeshore Boulevard West and Bayview, they're closed until... Uh, until uh, the end of the summer, the end of the fall. What's yeah, the the end of we'll we'll take them all the way through the end of September. In fact, this weekend, the Civic Holiday weekend, we're going to be uh, we're going to have the closures of place for all three days, mm-hmm. so you can get out there and go out more than once, or decide you want to go on Monday. Uh, I think it's supposed to be sunniest tomorrow, and maybe a little rainy on Sunday, but um, so that will be uh, that will be available and. Um, and it's been a pleasure to chat with you. I'm I'm kind of excited um, to see what happens over the next six months. You know, we all everything that we know about transportation has kind of been turned on turned its on, end yeah. right? uh, over over the la- over the last four months. And so uh, I actually think it's been it's been um, not without its benefits for us to kind of hit the reset button and and do some thinking about the best way to measure and what we plan for in the future. So Overall. We're, we're keeping our yeah. Yep, and we're keeping our eyes on that, absolutely. Very interesting. Um, okay, well, uh, hopefully we'll have another chance to, to chat, maybe in six months or a year, to see how things have evolved. But uh, this has been really interesting. Thanks so much for your time. Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you. Thank you.